some time ago, as I started wrestling with what it meant to uh, share the gospel, um, I've mentioned this in past, it occurred to me that it's really hard to share the gospel today in a culture that is so fragile, religiously speaking. The second faith, religion, God, Christianity comes up, people run into their different poles, and then they kind of uh, hunker down. And so other people get very nervous about sharing the gospel in an environment that is that fragile. It seems like the language has changed. Words that we used to depend upon for years are no longer effective. So I went back to the scripture uh, to try and find ways to be more creative about this. I noticed, first of all, that one of the major themes in the whole Bible is the theme of life and death. Death is not simply stop living. Death in the scripture is when things start to lose their power and they get diminished, they get smaller and they pull away from community. When that happens to someone, they are said to be dying. Then I started to research in scripture what some of the symptoms of death would be and what are the symptoms of life. And I came up with a chart, if we've got it up here, that looks something like this. And these each became, for me, a dialect or a way of talking about the gospel. Now with about 10 or 12 different um, conditions in mind, different symptoms in mind, anything from isolation to sickness to despair, uh, I can listen more attentively to what a person is actually saying, and then I can reach into the scripture to find how Jesus Christ is the solution for that condition. Does that make sense? So I was, you guys, I was going to preach on each one of these, but since it was going to be a 13 or 14 week series, the advisors around me highly encouraged me to consider something else. So I did. This morning, what I want to do is to summarize uh, all that we've been saying in uh, some of what I've learned by uh, reading scripture and by just walking with people in life. Are you good? <clears throat> what I've noticed is that people today, uh, at least in our culture, tend to be on two ends of a spectrum. One of them is they're very aggressive in the way that they share Jesus, and the other is that some then are too passive in the way that they share Jesus. When a person is too aggressive, they have a lot of self-confidence, and when they're too passive, they have too much self-doubt. So when they're aggressive with a lot of self-confidence, they tend to create conversations uh, sometimes where there isn't one. They'll jump into the middle of a normal conversation about sports news and the weather and steer it onto a religious conversation, which is always another conversation. Uh, and so they, they sort of manipulate conversations. But when a person is too passive, they could be in the middle of a conversation that is ready to go this way and they'll miss it. Because they're too afraid, they're too apologetic, 
So it's either fear of uh, an unsafe conversation. That wouldn't be a safe conversation or it's a fear of being in the middle of something and not knowing what I'm supposed to say and then looking like a fool or it's sometimes, well, I don't want to be that guy and I don't want to kind of be scrutinized or watched. And so, and so here they tend to miss conversations that come along. Does that make sense? So the good news with this person is that they are uh, internally self-aware. That is, they hear the voice of God speaking into their spirits all the time. And that voice is saying, this is someone who needs to hear more about the work of Jesus Christ. But the problem is sometimes that they are not externally self-aware. That means they don't ever consider how this conversation is going to be heard. This person has the other problem. They have a lot of external self-awareness, so they're always thinking about how the other person's going to hear this, uh, but sometimes it keeps them from giving an answer, as Peter put it, to those who ask about the hope that is lying within us. What I'm looking for in my life is this middle, which I'm calling evangelistic intelligence. When a person speaks and listens with evangelistic intelligence. They don't go into conversations locked and loaded with the answer. But neither do they avoid the conversation when it presents itself. They are well aware of the human condition and they know that Jesus Christ is the answer for that condition. They know in their heart that Jesus is the first of all things. They have no confusion about this, but they also know that everybody gets there at their own speed. That we must preserve the integrity of an individual to come to their own conclusions. Does that make sense? And so they're in between both too aggressive and too passive. The best example that I can think of of this is in Acts chapter 8, where Philip is with the Ethiopian eunuch. Um, the backstory of that is Philip is a layperson, not an apostle. He's full of wisdom, full of the Holy Spirit appointed by the early church to settle an early dispute. Philip, when persecution breaks out, runs, I got a map right here, do you see it? Runs out of Jerusalem north into Samaria and stays there for about two or three months preaching the gospel. Then suddenly, in the middle of that little campaign, an angel appears to Philip and tells him, wait for the language, to go south on the road that leads from Jerusalem down into Gaza. You see it? So he travels 
20 miles from the place where he's at to get onto a road that he senses the Spirit has called him to get on, and he doesn't know why he's on this road. The Spirit never tells him, I've set you up. He just says, leave where you're at and get on that road and start walking. So Philip, out of obedience, gets, has that ever happened to you? God has just told you, you need to be there. I'm not telling you why. You need to be in that job. You need to stay in that neighborhood. Has that ever happened to you? You don't know why you're supposed to do it, but you have a strong sense that God has sent you on this road. While he is on the road, the Spirit comes to him and points out an Ethiopian who is also on this road, coming out of Jerusalem, wait for it, where he has just finished worshiping Yahweh in a Jewish temple. The dude is from Africa, and he's in a Jewish temple participating in rituals around Yahweh. He's on the road, headed back to Africa, and he's reading from Isaiah, the prophet, chapter 53. Spirit comes to Philip and says, see that guy over there? Go walk alongside the chariot. So Philip runs over and starts walking alongside the chariot. You guys, this dude is the secretary of the treasury for Ethiopia. If you want the hang of this, imagine running up alongside a presidential motorcade because you want a witness to Trump. What do you think is going to happen to you? He ain't going to roll down the window. This is the risk that Philip is taking. Go over and walk next to the motorcade. And just listen. While he's walking next to the motorcade, he starts to hear language that he's heard before from Isaiah 53. Philip then initiates the conversation. He says, do you understand what you're reading? Now the question's loaded. Because the way the rabbis taught it was the word could be read as a text and it could be read as a light. When you ask someone, do you understand what you're reading? You could be saying, do you understand the words that are being used in the text? Do you know the characters? Can you see the movements? Can you exegete, as they say in college, uh, what the meaning of this passage is. But the other way that they taught it was you could use this text as a flashlight and look alongside of it and you could understand what was happening in the world and in your life by looking alongside the text. You see it? 
So when he says to him, do you understand what you're reading? He's not just saying, do you understand what's in the text? He's saying, do you understand what's happening in the world through the text? Reminds me of what C.S. Lewis said, I believe in Christianity like I believe in the rising sun, not only because I see it, but because with it, I see everything else. Is it? This is the question. Eunuch picks up on this and he says, how am I going to know what this means unless somebody explains it to me? The word there means guides me, instructs me. How am I going to get this unless somebody walks alongside of me and interprets what is happening in the world through the text? Then he says to Philip, come on up in my limo. So Philip jumps up in the treasury's limo and he starts explaining to the treasurer what is happening in the text, wait for it, starting with the very passage he was reading. Not some other one. So he's both aggressive. Do you understand what you're reading? Well, he's also passive, beginning with the text he was reading. He didn't have a song and dance. So he's having a spiritual conversation. He's not just walking alongside the guy saying, hey, how are the wife and kids? But at the same time, he's leaving room in the conversation for the other person to shape it. I see it like this. Three characters involved here. And the sweet spot's the middle. There is Philip. There is the Ethiopian. And there is the Holy Spirit. The first thing I would like you to notice is that when evangelism is happening with intelligence, each person in the threesome, it's the dialogue between myself, the other person, and the Holy Spirit. Each person in that conversation both acknowledges and preserves the integrity of the other two. All three are active. The Holy Spirit is active because he's telling Philip to get on the road. He's already directed the Ethiopian to read from the text. And yet the Ethiopian is active because he's actually reading from a text he's not familiar with. He's inviting Philip to get into his chariot. And yet Philip is active because he's initiating the conversation. 
He's not just hoping that the person comes to some conclusion on his own in total passivity. Are you there? This is important because what happens in so much of the time in canned conversions is it's a dialogue between the evangelist and the target with no memory of what the Holy Spirit has already done to set up that conversation. In other cases where they're too passive, the evangelist is saying, well, this is between the other person and God. I stay out of that. Faith is a private matter. If they do that, then he simply hopes and prays. They always say, I'm praying for him, I'm praying for him, I'm praying for him. Talk. <laughs> that the two of them figure it out. This person here is not related at all. He's just saying, I will be one with God and live a holy life. And then, like Mr. Rogers, they'll figure I'm a Christian. No, you, you might want to say something to guide the conversation without taking it over. That's the first thing. The first thing is before we open our mouth, the Holy Spirit has already been in every conversation. A secular age teaches you that this is just between you and them. That's not evangelism. That's a sales pitch. To go into every conversation and say, in a world like ours that is haunted with God, every conversation I am in, God is setting up. And he's already active. My first job is not to diagnose the person. It's to diagnose where God is already active in that person's life. Are you tracking? Second observation. Everything in a spiritual conversation moves on the rails of a good question. Do you understand what you're reading? A good question comes alongside of the conversation that is already there and simply guides it in structured ways. A good question is one that is deep enough to cause a real discussion, but yet it's easy enough to actually answer it. So I've decided in the next uh, few weeks when Lent starts, um, I'm going to go into the questions of Jesus. This is why. Jesus asked over 300 questions, which is shocking from someone who already knew everything. <laughs> and, and what I found in the questions that Jesus asked is you can cluster them into subjects. And so I found about 13, 14 subjects, and then I sent those 
subjects out to people in our congregation that work in secular places, and I ask them which of these conversations would be the easiest ones for you to have. You see where this is going? I'm thinking we can help people in secular places use questions to guide the discussion onto spiritual themes. And the third observation, it's my last one. Yeah, we're good. Spiritual conversations occur, good conversations happen as disciples engage in three practices. Relax, I'm not going to unpack all of them. They engage in listening. Walk up next to that chariot and just listen. Followed by discerning. Do you understand what you're reading? Followed by engaging. Starting with that very passage, he spoke to the man about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Some years ago, 19 to be exact, when I moved here, I had a conversation with Judy uh, Crossman over there, and um, I hadn't talked to her for a long time. And at the end of that conversation, she said, I haven't talked to you for a long time. Do you know, you're a really good listener. The mistake I made was I believed her. I thought listening was like a skill. Either you had it or you didn't. And if somebody said you had it, then you must have had it. What I've learned is that listening well is a muscle. Just because you listen, it can still be weak. So when we listen to people, are you listening? Listen. We are not looking for gaps in the conversation so we can get into it. When we're listening, we're not reloading. We're not trying to find out what the problem is so in a few moments when the other person stops talking, we can fix them. When we listen to somebody, we are descending with them from certainty into uncertainty, finally into clarity. When we listen well, we start out by saying, I think I know what the problem is, but the more we listen, the more uncertain we become of things we were sure of a minute ago. And here's the problem. Christians in general can't stand uncertainty. How can you have an answer without getting to it? 
Well, it's because you think you know the answer because you haven't yet listened. Preachers are this way. Tell me your problem. No, wait, don't. I think I know your problem. Here's what you should do about it. Once we pass through this stage where all of a sudden we let go of our agenda, our ego, and our control over that conversation, now the conversation can go places it couldn't go before. And the two of us together, myself and the other person, can shape the rest of the conversation. When I discern, um, I am asking myself, what is this person's condition? How far can this person go today? What is Christ to this person that they could never imagine? Are you tracking? And as I discern, the process slows down, but the answers become more clear. Class over. Here's what I want to tell you. Most people in this room are either Philip or the Ethiopian. Sometimes you're both. In church, you're all evangelistic. And then, out there, you're on this perennial search. But most of us in the room are either Philip or the Ethiopian. If we're Philip, then the word of the Lord is, be more courageous and intelligent about the conversations you're already in. You don't need to hijack a conversation to make it spiritual. It's already spiritual. Just need to listen for places where you can hear it. You don't need to hijack it, but you will need to be more courageous. I sense in a room like this, most Christians in our day and age are either so afraid or so confused that they've decided that if somebody around them should ever come to them and beg to come to Jesus, well, then they'd call the pastor. That's the stuff I'm speaking against. It doesn't always happen like that. We have to be more courageous. We've been discipled by a secular age. If you're the Ethiopian, then you're here this morning on something of a search. God is speaking to you, but you don't know it. Or if you do, you want to figure it out all by yourself because this is just between you and God. Faith is a private matter. My word to you 
is have the courage to ask somebody to get up in your chariot and have a sustained conversation. Don't make God connect all the dots. If you're on a search for God this morning and some things are still not clear to you, will you have the courage to find somebody around you and ask them to help you?